0: Say a prayer with me before we look at the Bible together today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're grateful to again start this new year in this school. We pray a blessing over the children who come here every week, over the teachers and the teacher's assistants and the administrators, God, who work really hard to make sure that this school runs as well as it can and the kids can be taught and they can be encouraged and they can believe. Thank you for the people from our church and from other churches who come here week in and week out on Fridays to make sure kids have food on the weekends. Thank you for the people who have provided to make sure that food is paid for. God, we continue to lift the school up because you've called us here, not just to rent space, but to be a presence in this building and in the life of the school. So we thank you for that opportunity. We pray that you'd continue to give us eyes and ears so we can notice what it is you're inviting us into here at Sheridan. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, welcome everybody. We're glad to have you here. Happy New Year one more time in case you weren't with us last week. We're starting a new series called Mission Priorities. And that title comes from a conversation that we had with those of you who are covenant members over the last year or so to try to ask a question of our mission statement, which is to love our community in the name of Jesus. How do we want to focus that in the short term over the next 12 months or so? How do we think God wants us to love our community in the name of Jesus in particular? And so we came up with four areas of focus, and they are to talk about and ask God how to share the gospel with our neighbors. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. To continue the conversations we've been having about how the gospel informs our understanding and our investment in uh, questions about race. We had a really wonderful conversation last year about gospel and race, and we're going to continue to focus on that. Uh, We are going to continue to focus on how our faith in God influences our work on a day-to-day basis. That's been a core part of Mill City's life the last couple years. And the fourth one is questions about how we can engage with people who are on the margins in some way, shape, or form. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to have a sermon on each one of those, and they're introductory sermons. And the hope is that over the next four weeks, you would feel compelled to invest in one of those four things over 2017, sort of New Year's resolution style. So I was teasing the other people who were preaching in the series that whoever gives the best sermon of the four will get the most people to focus on their thing, and then they're the winner. And they quickly informed me that it wasn't a competition, even though competition is one of my strengths. So uh, they're all going to be really good. Mine just, you know, never mind. So we have these four focus foci and I wanna say one thing about it before we get to gospel and neighbors and that is maybe uh, in organizations or churches that you've been a part of, the vision comes from the person who's the president or the CEO or whoever's in charge, the executive director. And at Mill City Church, we very intentionally said that vision comes from the people. And so we spend a lot of time in our covenant member meetings, listening to scripture, listening to each other, asking questions about what God is leading us towards, and these four things have come out of those conversations. That we say, this is what we all think God is leading us to focus on as we try to love our community in the name of Jesus. So it's not some idea that I went off on a retreat and came back, or Stephanie was off somewhere and came back and said, hey, here's what we should focus on. This is what we all said we should focus on. And we're just highlighting these things with a little bit more clarity to say to you, Which one of these individually do you feel called to invest in in 2017? So don't listen to the sermons over the next month and say, oh my gosh, I have to uh, share the gospel with my neighbors, solve all racial tensions, become integrated in my faith and work, and engage with all sorts of people on the margins. Myself, we're not trying to overwhelm you. We're trying to say these are things that God has placed on the heart of our church. Which one do you feel like you would like to focus on. So today we're going to take a conversation, we're going to have a conversation about gospel and neighbors. I want to start out with a couple of questions. Uh, what does the gospel sound like to your neighbors? Okay, not theoretical neighbors, your neighbors. People that you see on a regular basis. I want you to think of their names and try to have their faces in your mind as I talk today. I want to ask a question about how we share the gospel with those people, your neighbors. They might be co-workers. They might be people who live next to you, folks that you engage with on a day-in and day-out basis. And as soon as we have that that question come up, I feel some tension. I know some of you feel some tension, especially those of you who grew up in churches where sharing faith was emphasized. And some of that tension comes from realizing that some of the starting places, that people have maybe have used or taught you in the past in terms of sharing your faith with people who don't know Jesus. Uh, don't feel like uh, good starting places for conversations anymore. For instance, uh, when I was younger, they would teach you to say, you could start a conversation about faith in Christ by asking people if they knew where they were gonna go when they died. Anybody heard that before? Okay, some of you. Others of you have seen illustrations um, like with a cross over a divide, uh, the, the bridge illustration sometimes it's called, where there's like a big chasm and you're on one side and God's on the other side, and you walk across the cross in order to get from where you are to where God is. Has anybody seen that one before? Yeah. I don't know if there's anything wrong with these, but here's what I'm sensing in conversation with you all. It's that some of those starting places don't seem to get the same kind of traction that maybe they did 30 years ago. And so maybe we need to relook at scripture and try to say, well, how do we talk about how faith in Christ has changed our lives in a way that's relevant to the neighbors that you live with in the 21st century? That's what this focus is going to be about in 2017 for Mill City Church. So again, I don't know that those starting places are wrong, but I think we need other starting places for conversation And today, I want to give you one example. The sermon will be one example of a different starting place. So we're going to start with uh, what the Bible refers to as the law, okay? And we're going to be in Romans chapter 2. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, I'll be reading it in just a second. So one of the starting places for talking about the good news about Jesus in the Bible is the law in what we call the Old Testament. They wouldn't have called it the Old Testament back then, but, but we do. So the Jewish people ordered their life around the law that had been given to them by Moses, who's a very important leader in Jewish history, and a number of other people. And they believed that keeping the law was what made them right with God. Okay? Now, the trickle-down effect of this whole belief set is what many of you have rejected, which is that religion is defined by rules, and if you keep the rules, God is happy with you. Something like that, okay? When you hear law, you you can think of that. So Paul is writing to this church in Rome to explain to them that the gospel about Jesus sets them free from the requirements of the religious law that they're used to and, and that they couldn't keep anyway. And, and here's how he says this in chapter 2, verse 17. He says, Now, now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide, blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor for the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others Do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that others should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision, which was the sign of the Jewish people being the Jewish people, has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you've become as though you had not been circumcised. So Paul is calling these folks out who is saying our rightness with God, our relationship with God is dependent upon us keeping this law that we've had for generations and generations that God gave to us. And Paul says, yes, but you're hypocrites. And has anyone heard the church being accused of being hypocritical in the 21st century? Right, This is not not an old conversation. It's a live conversation. Paul goes through a whole long list. If you're the person who's supposed to teach everyone else, are you doing the things that you're teaching everyone else that the law says? Because unless you do them perfectly... Unless you keep them perfectly, they can't save you. So Paul is rightly calling them out and saying, if you act hypocritically, not only are you not made right by the law that you're claiming is right, but also you're giving God a bad reputation among every other person, every other people group. So you're damaging yourself and you're damaging God's reputation for other people. He says, the law is unforgiving. If you break the law, it's as if you never knew the law. The law is unforgiving. If you break the law, it might as well have been as if you never knew it. Because there's no forgiveness in it. Now, uh, I started to think, what are the 21st century version of these laws? Whenever you talk about gospel, you have to remember that the gospel is always being translated into the time and context and cultures of the people that God's trying to speak to. So Paul's very specifically writing to people in Rome in the Roman church who are Jewish about their understanding of their history and their laws. What would it be like if Paul was writing to Minnesota today? I don't think he would assume that we think we're righteous because of our Jewish heritage, most of us, right? Most of us don't have Jewish heritage. But I think he would find plenty of laws that we're all trying to live by, laws that are just as unforgiving as the religious laws he's referring to in Romans chapter 2. Let me tell you what I mean. I'm using the word law to just mean a set of requirements that promises rewards based on obedience. Okay? A set of requirements that promises rewards based on obedience. Uh, Another way to think about it is they're if-then statements, right? If you do fill in the blank, then you get fill in the blank, right? So for the Jewish people, it was, if you keep the law of Moses, then you will reap the benefits and blessings of relationship, covenant relationship with Yahweh. The law's requirements, the the nature of the law is that its requirements are never completed. It's always asking something more from you. It's never done, you're never finished. Here are some laws that I just made up. These are not real laws, I just created descriptions of things I think some of us are living with as we go about our days. The law of working hard, okay? This is an unspoken, sometimes spoken law in Minnesota, especially, if you work hard, then what? You'll be successful, you'll get ahead, right? That's part of the American dream. If you work hard, then you'll get ahead. What's the opposite of that statement? If you don't work hard, it's not good. I don't know, fill in the blank, right? I think some of us have, are realizing, especially those of us who grew up in families that really emphasize strong work ethic, which should be a really healthy thing, it can also be this treadmill, right? Hamster-like treadmill that you're on, and you never get off, because you have to keep working on the if side of the statement if you wanna keep benefiting on the then side of the statement. Let me try another one. This is one I'm feeling because I'm trying to parent young children. So the law of parenting correctly, I called it. The law of parenting correctly is if you do the right things with your children, then they turn out okay. Okay? And let me tell you, the if part of this statement is multifaceted. Okay? I get an article every day on my phone. Just last night, I don't know, CNN knows I'm anxious. They send me a thing. It says, here's how you communicate with your kid better. Here's how you make sure your kid doesn't feel shamed. Here's how your kid gets enough sporting opportunities, but not too many. Here's why they should go to band camp, but not whatever other camp. Here's why Boy Scouts will transform your life. Here's why it's, parents, anybody? It's endless, yes? And if you read the books, if you read the parenting books, none of them agree, okay? So they'll just be like, well, this is our perspective. Everybody else says we're wrong. Those people are all wrong. Now it's up to you to decide. That's parenting in a nutshell. Talk to 10 parents in this room. They all have vastly different opinions on how to do just about everything. And every one of us is right. We have to be. Or we just be weeping at the end of the day, wondering if we're ruining our kids. Right? Yeah. All you're nodding at me, all right. So the law of parenting correctly is if you parent your kids well, they turn out okay. And it is an unrelenting law, an unforgiving law. Some of us even have funds built up for the kids to go to counseling later because we know it's, uh, we've already lost. <laughs> Here's another one I, I made up. The law of eating right. Okay? Just about the same amount of news stories say cucumbers will, cues, uh, will cure cancer, cucumbers will cause cancer. Right? Every day. This, if you do this, if you eat this, if you have two shots of wheatgrass instead of one shot of wheatgrass, you will be a healthy person. And it can be so demanding to just keep up with what it is you're supposed to eat, what it is you're not supposed to eat. And then I've heard some really hard stories from people who thought they did everything right. They exercised, they ate well, whatever, and then they still ended up struggling with some kind of unforeseen illness. Now, it's really important to eat well and take care of your body, but we're getting into this culture now where it's like, if you, if you do everything just like we tell you to do it, then you can then you can count on being healthy for, for the remainder of your life. And it's a demanding law. Finally, the law of posting on the internet. Some of you know I have a bias against posting on the internet, so for, forgive me. But the, the internet might be the most unforgiving thing there is, right? If you're 15 and you post something stupid on your Facebook page, at least the way I understand it, it's just on there. So like 10 years later, if you're interviewing for a job, somebody can go, well, when you were 15, you said something really stupid about Trump and we don't want to hire you. So there's just no forgiveness in these laws. And in our culture, when people talk, it sounds like we've reached this place where there's lots of freedom. People's assumption is our culture is evolving to the point where we're all really free and we can make lots of choices or whatever. But when you dig deeper a little bit, I think, actually, just we've kind of made up a whole bunch of new laws to try to orient our lives and accomplish the kinds of things that we hope to accomplish with what we're doing. There's very, very little, if any, forgiveness in these kinds of laws. I think if Paul was writing to Minnesota, he might say, why have you given so much authority to all these laws? Why have you given up the way in which you see what's valuable in life over to these laws that don't come from God, that are not based in what Jesus has done for us. So I think we got a lot of laws. We're probably ready for some good news, yes? So Paul makes this turn in chapter three to say the good news is that God has given us righteousness, which is just right standing, right relationship with God because of what Jesus has already done for us. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says, "But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify or tell us about. The righteousness is this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe." There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption they came by Jesus Christ. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption they came by Christ Jesus. So Paul says people who put their faith, their belief, their trust in jesus are given right standing with god because of what jesus has done for us and because jesus could fulfill the demands of the law in ways that we couldn't and so the good news for this group in rome for these jews in rome is listen it doesn't matter if you're a historical jew or not it doesn't matter if you were circumcised or not it doesn't matter if you lived up to these laws or not because there's a new way to have right relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And he says, believing in this is the entryway into this new kind of life where you're free from the demands of these laws. Now, why do we become free by believing? This is another sticking point when you're talking about gospel and neighbors, because a lot of people have deconstructed the idea that you have to believe something right in order to get into heaven or or whatever. But, but take a different look at it with me for a second, okay? Why does your life change when you believe something? Think of a different example other than Christian faith. There's lots of messages that we all get all the time that says, if you be- like this, if you believe in yourself, right? If you believe that you can do something that might seem a little bit beyond whatever it is you can currently think of yourself doing, that belief in yourself will actually allow you to do it. And if you don't believe in yourself, you'll never do it. Anybody ever heard anything like that? Right? So and there's, and there's tons of these that people say, listen, if you believe that uh, eating well and taking care of yourself is the most important thing, then your actions will follow that belief. So all of us, all the time, are actually changing our lives by what we believe. And so, Paul isn't just saying, You just have to agree with me. He's saying, You get the chance to reorder your life and everything you do around a belief that grace from God in Jesus Christ is the center of reality. And so, all the different laws that are demanding your attention that are, if then, statements, Jesus has done away with those and said, I've already fulfilled the if-then statements. I want you to feel and experience forgiveness, and and I want you to realize that you're my son or you're my daughter. And then if you can get that, if you can buy into that, then we can do all kinds of other things. Because you're not going to be worried waking up every day wondering if you're keeping the agreement or not. You wake up every day knowing, I've already kept the agreement." Because Jesus has done it for me. And so I have the kind of freedom like you might have once you start believing that you can do something that you didn't think you could do before. I have this sort of freedom to step into things in relationships and work and parenting and all sorts of other ways that I never would have otherwise. Because I would have been too terrified of going against the if-then statements. So belief is very, very central, but it means much more than just agreeing to what happened to Jesus or didn't happen to Jesus. It means trusting God to reorient your life around a description of reality that says God's grace defines everything. You see, that's why this was so radical in the beginning. Every other religious system said, yeah, there's a way to be right with God. It involves you working really hard and doing the right things to keep God happy. And Paul says, no, no, that's not true. Reality is actually based on grace and and a free gift, and everything else flows out of that. But if you don't get the free gift, and you don't believe that, you're going to be working your butt off to achieve something you can never achieve. And that's what everyone's doing in the 21st century, working their butt off to achieve things that they're never going to achieve. Even the people who achieve them get there and go, well, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. They do. And so we're all just running on this hamster wheel trying to keep up with if-then statements that we created to try to give us meaning to our lives. Our world so desperately needs the same good news that Paul's trying to share with the, the church in Rome in this book. And we need to find ways to live it and to talk about it so that people can access it and that we can understand it in a new way and in a fresh way. Belief can completely change your life. If you trust in what Jesus has done for you, your belief will change how you live and it will change what you say about how you live. Have you ever met anybody who went through a dramatic life change and they can't help but tell you about it? Like, I've done this change in my life, in my eating, in my working out, in my relationships or whatever, and now I'd never go back people who quit smoking, or it made some amazing transformation in their life, they can't wait to tell you about how they did it, right? That's the same sort of conversations we need to be having about how the gospel's informing our lives. Because we're so excited about the ways that Jesus has reoriented our life around grace, that we can't help but tell somebody else about it. Now, uh, just so you don't think, so one of the, one of the, conversation pieces about this for thousands of years has been, if you emphasize God's grace in the gospel and neighbor conversation too much, then people will walk away thinking, so the good news is, I can pretty much just do whatever I want, right? What Jesus is saying is, look, I took care of everything, now just do whatever you want, right? And when you hear that out loud, everybody goes, well, that, you know, that doesn't sound right. But we always get nervous about going too far towards saying, Because of what Jesus has done, we do do anything we want. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul goes after this pretty directly, and I want to read it to you. Romans chapter 6, verses 15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I don't like the word slaves in this passage. I think Paul uses it because he knew the people who were listening would understand what it's like to be a slave and what sort of a, a commitment the slaves had to whoever they were enslaved to. I think a better word for us in the 21st century would be something like a marriage partnership, a commitment, because he clearly is saying in this passage that these people willingly do, do this, and most slaves didn't become slaves willingly, right? So I just want to be clear about that. I think what Paul's trying to say is some people can choose to be uh, committed to, develop a covenant to, to be responsible to this good news about God's righteousness through Jesus Christ in ways that they could never get out of, that they would never turn their back on. He says, you will come to obey from your heart that obedience would be coming out of you Because there's no other way you want to live. Because you know once you discover this new way of life, there's no reason to go back to anything else. And because in verse 18, you've been set free from sin, and you've become married to, if you'll use my language, you've become married to God's righteousness. You've developed a covenant partnership with God through Jesus Christ that has totally changed your life. It changes our lives because when we enter the conversation about, um, about our workplace and say, what does grace-based engagement with work look like that redefines success, that redefines the way you do business, that redefines the goals of your business or, your, or whatever other things you're doing. Grace-based parenting that doesn't just try to get your kids to do all the right things at the right times, but honors the fact that God created them and tries to offer them grace so they can learn that this way of life that we're all trying to live is the most free. That grace-based perspective on your own identity and your own body would know that God loves you and honors you for reasons that are totally different from the way someone might love or honor you In 21st century cultures. The gospel redefines our understanding of the laws and sets us free to engage and love love people in ways that we may never love. So here's an idea for a question, and we're going to dig into this a lot more in the coming months. We're going to have a teaching series on each one of these four priorities. So this is just the best intro you're going to hear over the next four weeks. Thanks for catching that. The question I came up with, maybe for a neighbor conversation, instead of saying, do you, do you know where you're going to go when you die, could be, what pressures are you currently facing right now that you feel like you can't escape? What pressures are you currently facing right now that you feel like you can't escape? Do you think anybody would have an answer to that question? I could take some trust to ask that of somebody, but... What if they would respond to you and say, "Man, this job I'm in is killing me because the demands of it are 80 hours a week, and I am feeling like I'm suffocating," or "I'm in this relationship," or "I have I have three kids under three, and I can't even sleep for 10 minutes, or whatever." And now all of a sudden, you're into a conversation about laws. I think laws are a great starting place for conversation about the gospel where the good news is Jesus can set us free from buying into, if then, laws that the 21st century has created that you don't need to buy into. And someone else is offering you a different perspective and a different lifestyle and a relationship that's based on grace, not law. I wanna say that we share the gospel with our neighbors through how we live and what we say, and that's what we're gonna be exploring as we go through this over the next number of months. Uh, Here's a summary, let me invite the band to come up and I'm gonna introduce communion. Here's a summary of what I've been trying to say today. I think we need to reject the demands of the various laws. So maybe this week you need to identify some laws that are really driving your life and say, are these based in the gospel or are they based in something else? We have to reject the demands of the laws. We have to believe in Jesus in ways that reorient our lives around God's grace. That set us free from living up to whatever standard so that we can live up to the standard that God has in mind for us. And then we get to live differently. We get to change the way that we interact with people. We get to change the things that we value. They will just change. Because you'll feel different and you'll feel a weight lifted and you'll know that no matter what circumstances come into your life, God has already declared victory over the things that we're going to encounter. We're gonna celebrate communion together. And today's a great day to be celebrating communion because when we come up to take communion and you accept gluten-free bread and dip it in grape juice, representing the, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for us, We're receiving a free gift. We're saying this is how we want to orient our lives. Not one person in this room deserves to have done for them what was done for them on the cross. We start taking communion by acknowledging, God, we need your forgiveness. We need your love. We know that you give it to us because you want to, not because we earned it. And let everything else as you walk around the corner from where you receive this, say a prayer and say, God, help my life to be free from laws. Help my life to be dictated by your grace so I can be the person that you created me to be. Let me pray, and then we'll get ready to take communion. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we love you. Jesus, we are so grateful for what you've done for us. Jesus, it's hard to even understand the the magnitude of the gift that you offer to us. The pressure that we feel as we sit here, God, to live up to so many different expectations, many of which you didn't give to us. And you're looking down on us as kids and wondering why we've agreed to this. And longing for us to come back to you and accept your your rule of life for us that starts with your grace and ends with us living with you in the absence of sin and death and suffering forever and ever. As we come before you, God, and accept your gift of Jesus Christ because of the blood that was shed on the cross, we say thank you today. We receive it freely. We know we haven't done anything to receive it from you. We are so grateful for your love and for your grace. Help us to be people who share that love and that grace with our neighbors this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.